I do have two different things to talk about, depending on if you're in the mood for a little bit of, I guess this could be considered a sect of climate change, whether or not you want to talk about energy or you want to talk about forest fires. We talked about forest fires recently. Let's okay. talk about energy. This came across, I was perusing the subreddit collapse not that long ago. And this article was highlighted. This story came across, which I found very interesting. Unfortunately, I can just give you the Coles notes because I am not going to subscribe to the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. But a persistent drought in the southwest U.S. has put the Hoover Dam at a record low for water. So oh. the Hoover Dam was built in the 1930s as basically a make-work project, an infrastructure project, part of the, the New Deal back then with Franklin Delano Roosevelt as the president. It was huge, massive project. It's still setting to this day, which I find bizarre. Like the cement setting? still isn't, yeah, the cement still isn't done setting. Oh. But when it was created, behind it, because once you dam a river, it creates a lake, and that lake is called Lake Mead. And Lake Mead right now is at the lowest point it has ever been. Oh, it's not good. Yeah. Especially it's in a desert to begin with. It's already in a desert to begin with. And since the year 2000, Lake Mead has dropped 130 feet in water level. There is the potential that in the next two years, in fact, Hoover Dam may not produce electricity because the water levels will be too low to actually produce anything. There are 1.3 million people in California, Nevada, and Arizona that rely on energy created by the Hoover Dam for energy. I guess the most depressing part about this is, first off, the Colorado River is what feeds all this. It feeds through down to the farms all through California and Nevada and all that. They're starting to ration that water, so they're cutting back the resources for the farmers along the way. That will kick in next year. But this is a drought that's been going on for a long time. So it's not likely that this water level is going to go up, especially as climate gets hotter. It's harder and harder for rivers to actually make back what they've lost because evaporation is a big thing when the temperature yeah. outside is higher. Just we're simple just facts. talking about that on one of the opening episodes that we are doing about how this is just how life is now. You're going to be dealing with shortages and warmer temperatures, forest fires and yeah. But the most depressing thing I think about this is those 1.3 million people, they're going to get power. The problem is, is it's not going to be coming from Hoover Dam anymore, which damming rivers has its own cost benefit analysis that you have to look at in the sense of it does destroy ecosystems like fairly substantially. Hmm. But this their energy is likely to be replaced with fossil fuels because it's the quickest and easiest way to get energy to people. I guess that's better for the earth when you're damming a river and using hi- is that hydroelectricity hydroelectricity it, it depends because when you dam a river first off anything that flows down that river is getting stopped right there or flowing through a a giant generator so the ecosystem within the river is substantially altered also salmon swimming upstream unless specific ecological issues are accounted for I believe it's called a salmon ladder that they basically swim up the side unless those are think, built. I don't um, think they have one of those at the Hoover Dam. And I don't think is that I don't think Hoover Dam have salmon there. I think it's too far inland to be an issue there. 
but like Site C Dam in BC, which would be a whole other can of worms we could talk about at a future date because it's really weird. Mm. They did have to account for that. And then I do West. know on the East Coast in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, Newfoundland area in Canada, something like 80% of salmon ecosystems have been destroyed due to hydroelectric dams. Oh, wow. I know there's a few here in BC where I've seen the salmon ladder that they can get up. Yeah. And then the other part is, is they flood land by creating those lakes. Sometimes it's in the middle of a desert that may not have a vast ecosystem there. Other times it displaces humans, it displaces animals, it displaces forest, which unfortunately can't move. Yeah. So it's a cost benefit analysis. Is it worse than petroleum or probably, fossil fuels? Probably not. It really like depends that. on the situation, but like the Seven Gorges Dam in China, like that was a substantial thing that was built. I believe it's called the Seven Gorges Dam. That I've um, been there. It was actually so big that it changed the orbit of Earth ever so slightly. It slowed down a day when it was actually built and that lake appeared by like 0.001 seconds. Oh. Dams are not meant to be permanent structures. So eventually they are going to collapse unless you can maintain them long term or at least divert what's going on. So eventually you're probably going to have an ecological disaster on the other end of the dam if the dam bursts, no which long term will happen. I had no idea about dams. Yeah. And I've been to two of them, apparently. Apparently. Anymore. Allegedly. Allegedly. I've been to the Three Gorges Dam in China and the Is Hoover Dam. Is that what it's called? Three Gorges? It is. Yeah. Okay, thank you. I don't know why I called it the seven, but yeah, there's the Gorges Dam. It's huge. Like it's the world's largest. Uh, however many of numbers Gorges Dam. Yeah. It's in Chinese. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, they're not perfect, but it is something that at least is not putting carbon into the atmosphere. Now these 1.3 million people are likely to get their energy from carbon, which is a part of a positive feedback loop. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I guess we have to use the earth to get our energy somehow. It's kind of sad, but when we create more energy, it doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that we're replacing old forms of energy like fossil fuels or coal. Well, coal is a fossil fuel, but um, basically just means that we're going to find a new use for the new energy. And that's oh. the problem that we've been running into as humans is we don't replace, we add. Oh. But with that, Chelsea, anything you want to add to that? I don't think so. I think I added all I could at this point. I mean, other than just adding anything that I've added to every episode, I think that is we need to do better as humans. Yeah, that's really been the theme of the podcast the last little while. <laughs> and with yes. that, we will move into the episode. Are you ready? Um, Now. Now I okay. am. Yeah. Okay. Cue Go. music. Go. Good now. From the unexplained to the mundane. Come join us on a journey to the fringe. Hello and welcome to Journey to the Fringe. We are your amicable for now co-hosts, Chelsea yeah. and Taylor. Hello, I am Taylor. Hi, Chelsea. Today we are going to talk about drugs. We're going to put drugs in the name a lot here because it's eye-catching and will help our searches. Thanks. I believe this is going to be about a three to four part episode. It's going to be long. It's going to be in depth. Today, we're going to start out with the history of more of the major drugs throughout history of humanity. I didn't think that it'd be a whole episode in itself, but once I started looking at them, I, it's fairly interesting. I think we're going to be push to keep this under an hour. We'll see what we can do. But today we're just going from kind of discovery uh, by humans of these drugs until they inevitably become criminalized. 
from there, we'll likely talk about the criminalization process from a Western point of view, because that's where it really comes from. Yeah. And then I believe from there, we're going to talk about what happens in the 80s across most of the Western world and the decriminalization that's happening now. Uh -huh. At some point in the future, I think this does set us up to look at more of the clandestine drug operations, specifically by the CIA in the US, which I think will be a fun topic in the future. But this does set us up to kind of at least know the mainstream idea of what is really happening here. Yeah, I think there's a million ways that we could go from it. It's something that I'm always with my background and everything with what I studied in school and whatnot, something that I've been very passionate about with drugs in the government. There's a million ways that you could go with it when you say drugs in the government, because then you have like programs like MK Ultra, things like that as well, which I don't think we're even going to touch on. No, we're not at this point. On these episodes, but, but yeah. it could. We could do a 25 episode drugs in the government, but for now. Oh, we really could. Yeah. Now we'll do this and then we're set up for the future. What yeah. we can do. Chelsea, I think I'm going to let you talk about what you have first and then I'll we, get in. We can switch off because I have two and do you have two? I have one. I have one. So let me start, then we can rotate. Okay, sounds good. Okay, so I'm going to start with cocaine because uh, personally, I liked heroin more, the history of heroin. So I'm going to start off, I'm going to leave the best for last, just like when you're eating food. <laughs> history of cocaine. So obviously, it's a stimulant that comes from the leaves of two types of coca species. The discovery and everything of cocaine started thousands of years ago, as with most drugs with indigenous peoples of South America who chewed the leaves of the erythroxylon on coca. And they still chew it to this day. So it was found with the remains of Peruvian mummies and also mixed with saliva as an anesthetic for trepanation, so, which I had to look up, obviously. Actually, quick question yeah. on that. When they would yeah. use it as an anesthetic, was it yeah. something like you would chew it and you'd kind of feel like a mild dulling or was it something they would rub as like a... The way that I saw it, and this is just my assumption of how I read it, mixed with saliva as an anesthetic, I would say that it was mixed and rubbed somewhere as like a local anesthetic. Okay, and from what I'm seeing then, it would be like a shaman would chew it and then rub I'm it I'm assuming off. so. Yeah, I didn't really go into detail because I was keeping it as brief as possible yeah. because these histories are actually fairly long. Yeah, I get that. But from how I interpreted it was that it was probably the shaman at yeah. that time. Okay, or I just didn't some realize. sort of medicine man. I didn't realize though it would have an effect on the body if you just rubbed it on. I always thought it yeah. was more something that had to be ingested. For sure would. It was used mixed with saliva as an anesthetic for trepanation, which is the drilling or scraping of a hole in the skull for various reasons. This goes back a long time. It would have been very basic. Then come the conquistadors who ban the plant, who come along to South America and they're taking over everything. Do you, do you want to take another do? crack at that word? Conqu con conquistador. There. Make Gerard proud. Conquistador. Conquistador. Okay. Sorry. My bad. <laughs> and they ban the plant because it's evil and it is against God. So it's a demon. Just kidding. The conquistadors come over and they ban it. And shortly after they realize that the locals basically can't operate without it. So once they realize that they can't live without it, they legalized it and taxed it. That's the basic history. Of and that was the first prohibition in the Americas. Yeah, so that would have been, you know what, I didn't put a year there, but that's very early on. That would have been the 1500s. Yeah, so 
The isolation of cocaine, the alkaloid, doesn't come until 1855, which is actually considered late in the game for isolating an alkaloid from a plant, cocaine. And you'll see where I'm going with this later. It's considered late because of how well known it is to be a stimulant. The other reason being the knowledge of chemistry at this point in 1855. And number two, the degradation of leaf samples on ships to European scientists. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm assuming it wouldn't grow in Europe. It doesn't naturally. No. No, Would they be able to grow a crop in Europe to study? I believe they do now. Okay. And I believe they do now. Up until like 1855, how people would be using it outside of it as a local anesthetic would be as a chewed, mild stimulant. Like almost like a kick of coffee. Exactly. By locals. Also coming from that. By indigenous. Yeah. The first time that it's isolated is by a German scientist named Frederick Gadke. And so many things that I pronounce right. And (laughs) once isolated, we're quick to use it for medical purposes is what I mean, essentially, when you're looking at any of these drugs, not only is it used for fun, but a lot of times they find out really early on that it's good for pain killing purposes. And it's quickly used for medical purposes. Carl Kohler starts using it for the diagnosis and treatment of eyes, which is ophthalmology. Ophthalmology. I'm really good at pronouncing. Famously, (laughs) this guy, Carl, Mr. Kohler, experimented on himself in 1884, applying a cocaine solution to his eye and pricking it himself with pins, which you would need cocaine to do this to yourself. I'm assuming there was more cocaine involved than just the stuff that went on his eyes. I'm going to assume so, yes, as well. It wasn't just the stuff in the eyes. He probably also ingested some to gain the strength to do this for himself because I I don't know who could do this. Maybe we should have a poll. Then cocaine is actually really popular. Being, I was like blown away that these are the popular things for it with use of eyes. And then comes next. It was popular for a respiratory anesthetic and nerve blocking anesthetic and was even used for epidurals figure i would not have thought that that's what it would have been used for if i were to just guess it then starts to become popular in 1859 when an italian doctor returns from peru where he sees the locals chewing on the leaves so i mean that's still pretty late in the game 1859 he continues to use it on himself as an experiment and writes a paper about its medicinal benefits which include flatulence and white teeth wait does it does it stop or make flatulence stops it Oh, okay. That, that's yeah. good to specify. It's, I don't know mir- what the craze is of the day. It's a miracle drug. It stops <laughs> it. And it has white teeth. So really, it just like it fixed your life. Then another Italian and chemist, Angelo Mariana, gets intrigues and markets a wine treated with coca leaves. So then we have coca wine by the name of Vin Mariani. And cocaine in drinks is also a pretty popular thing. Have you ever heard of Coca-Cola? Does ring a bell, yes. Yeah, hence where Coca-Cola had received its name by one of the ingredients used in it was cocaine. Still. Uh, The coca plant. Still, yes. Uh, It's No, not the cocaine part of the cacao leaf is still used in making Coca-Cola. Oh, really? I didn't know They actually have a license in the U.S. to import cacao leaves. Oh, I did not know that actually in my mention of Coca-Cola 
spoiler right here. Um, well, they're very tight-lipped about the recipe. In fact, that would be a fun episode in itself, like the history of secret that recipes. Would. But yeah. yeah, it's still, they have an import license. They're the only one in the US that's allowed to actually import it. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Thank you. Coca-Cola was decoconized in 1906 when the Pure Food and Drug Act was passed. We move on. 1879, it starts being used to treat morphine addiction, which we all could have guessed at this point that that would have came along eventually. 1884, it starts being used in Germany as local anesthetic. And around the same time, Sigmund Freud writes a paper describing the effects of cocaine and its euphoria it causes and how it's not so addictive and that's just me paraphrasing what uh freud said there yeah freud loved him some cocaine and he did are you gonna get into the guy who created the um the modern doctor's practice in a hospital no because you know doctors work like a 36 hour shift now i do okay doctors in their uh, sabbatical i forget what it's called i'll come back and fix this later but yeah they mm -hmm. work 36 hour shifts because part of it is the most dangerous part of a somebody in a hospital stay is the transfer from one doctor to the next and this guy said oh well if we limit the amount of transfers between doctors we'll limit the amount of injuries that can possibly happen in these transfers guy loved him some cocaine and you find it a it, lot in history yeah. there's a and lot of if cocaine you think about him it. saying you can work 36 straight hours as a doctor and be okay starts uh, to make a lot of sense yeah and he's a doctor and i would have to look up his name i'll i'll add a tidbit here and the post work we need to put an um so you can recognize it yes um, insert here william stewart halstead is widely considered to be the father of the modern doctoral residency in the paper titled necessity is the mother of invention william stewart halstead's addiction and its influence on the development of residency training in north america it is summarized that william stewart halstead developed a novel residency training program at john hopkins hospital that with some modifications became the model for surgical and medical residencies training in north america while performing anesthesia research early in his career, Halstead became addicted to cocaine and morphine. This paper specifically looks at how these drug addictions had helped to innovate the multi-tier residency program, as well as provide outstanding patient care and academic training. Okay. Um, during World War II, cocaine was used as an ingredient. Ingredient. Not sure why I'm mixing up my words here. Probably because of all the nice pronunciations I'm doing of all these names and big words. It's used as an ingredient in the pet pills for German soldiers, codename DIX, which was developed to redefine the limits of human endurance. Which almost need cocaine if that's what you're trying to do with the yeah. pill. Well, and to be fair, the Germans on the other side during World War II were coming at them hard with some meth. Germans loved them some meth. So you had to uh, fight it with something. Why not cocaine? No, this is the Germans. Oh, it is the Germans. Oh, damn. Yeah. They have all the drug power. Oh, yeah. They have all of it. And you know what? It's not something that I find as commonly known with World War II that Hitler was extremely high. I actually need to show you a video right now. We will add it eventually to our socials but here is a video of hitler at the olympics high on meth i've never seen this oh gosh that's him at the olympics that one of the byproducts of uh, meth habit is and, that shaking yeah i wouldn't call that shaking it's just like but yeah can't, it's still wow 1936 olympics in germany that's crazy i've never seen that yeah we'll put that that's a good one 
to put on the socials actually for this episode. So that's kind of, I, I mean, a little bit of a rundown of the history. It's a very quick, brief kind of rundown. It just gives you an idea of, you know, it's coming from something that's a part of an indigenous history. And then we take it, we kind of refine it, and then we start using it for medical purposes. But not only that, we kind of do with it for evil, so to say. We like to exploit things, and then we use it for medical, and then we exploit it for other reasons. Colombia is now the largest producer of cocaine, only recently surpassed by Bolivia and Peru due to crop reductions. I thought was super interesting. I, I always thought it was always Colombia that was the major producer of cocaine. I had no idea that Peru even produced it. Yeah, Colombia really gets the spotlight based on Does. Hollywood. In the US, I'm not sure about Canada on this one, but cocaine's market exceeds 70 billion in addition to a year, which is more than Starbucks. I don't know how you buy shares in this, but it'd be in if you could. It is proper amongst most walks of life, age, religion, status, political, livelihood. You get the idea. So pretty much anybody likes cocaine. Like it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, if you are Catholic, atheist, you're a politician. Like, <laughs> If you have a white collar job, I actually think that this might be part of the reason it's called white collar. Yeah. Like, uh, what is this? Rob Ford? <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> like one of our politicians in Canada. Doesn't matter. Cocaine kind of is one of those ones that brings everyone together no matter what their walk of life. On the other hand, you look at crack, and this is something I'm going to get into in depth on another one because there's so much to crack. Not that there isn't to all of them, but crack is a form of cocaine that you can smoke, and it had more of an effect on poor inner city and African American communities. And it's due to racial segregation. And I know we say this a lot, but this could and it will be an episode on its own. Yeah. Um, so that's all I'm going to say about it for now. We are going to do an episode on this because I think it speaks a lot, and it's not something that people readily know about this. And I think it's something that needs to be talked about. Not that it's not talked about everywhere, but I would love to talk about it. And I think it's really important. That will kind of get into the the Reagan era part, probably part. It will. It'll be, and season. it'll serve as yeah. a really good segue into it. And I think it's something really important to touch on because it has a lot to do with how we look at drugs and how we look at communities now in North America. So I think it's really important to touch on. I think at this point, it is easy enough to say if a drug is perceived to be something that the underclass does, it will immediately be criminalized in some way more severe than other things. Yeah. And it is something really important to just like we're fringe, right? We talk about everything. Ghost, yeah. Ecuador, lawyers. Uh, it's, ghosts it's in Ecuador. Friend. Yeah, it's <laughs> ghosts in Ecuador, especially. But it's something really important. And it's going to be an episode and it'll segue nicely into everything that we're talking about. So that was a small part. And then uh, with cocaine, while largely illegal all over the world now, it's still protected and produced for local indigenous in Peru and Bolivia. And it is still produced legally for medical purposes in the US, Europe and Australia. And that's I'm quite impressed with my cocaine thing there and my ability to to really narrow it down to just the essentials. And that's exactly what that was. So I will let you go on to your one thing. Yes, thank you. We are going to segue cocaine nicely into a nice, soft, mild talk about cannabis and its history. Oh, yay. Yes. Chelsea, when I talk about cannabis, how far would you think it dates back? I'm going to say probably as far as 
cocaine and heroin go back. Well, maybe not as far as heroin. Cocaine's a little bit newer, I would say. 1560. No, maybe more, maybe less. So you would be surprised if I said (laughs) it is in the running for the first crop ever harvested by man. Really? Yeah. That's so funny because I think heroin is as well, which is really cool. These are like the oldest things. It dates back to at least 8,000 BCE. And when I say BCE, most people think BCE. I I tend to try BCE just because that's before common era. And I'm going to say CE when we're talking about AD because it's just a more inclusive term. There's evidence of hemp being harvested in Japan dating back to about 8,000 BCE on the Oki Islands, which is, shoot, I just forgot the word, a bunch of islands all together in an area is a cluster sure a cluster of islands okay Okay. that's a scientific term i thought it was yeah in the sea of japan but the first kind of written history of cannabis comes from about 4000 bce and this is not this man's first appearance on this podcast a man by the name of shanang who came up in the yaren episode international bigfoot because you remember the region that the Yaren is found is, I believe it's in Hubei province, but an area yeah. called Shenangjia. And it I is Shenang's ladder. So he was the medicine man. Hold on, does this have to do with Yaren? No, it does not have to do with Yaren, unfortunately. I don't I know if we Shenang... we were going to find the missing link. No, I don't know if Shenang ever talked about the Yaren, but he talked a lot about cannabis and its therapeutic and healing qualities. As well as his ability to let you convene with the gods. It was also the first material used by the Chinese to create paper, which is also one of the great inventions to come from China. That's really cool. And hemp is more sustainable than using trees for paper products. And it's really hard. It's like an intertwined history. I couldn't quite pinpoint a date, but it seems fairly early on there was a distinction between hemp the crop that you would grow for its fabric and paper qualities and cannabis, what you would grow for its psychoactive or spiritual properties. It does get a little bit differentiated, but they kind of go hand in hand because these two things would grow together. They do. Yeah. But like as far back as like any crop goes, cannabis goes back that far. Like there's evidence of it being cultivated as a hemp fabric in Korea dating back to 3000 BCE. In some of the first Hindu writings, there's, talk of a drug that is used to convene with the gods it is a bit of a controversy on whether or not they're talking about it but a lot of people do feel that they're talking about cannabis at this time and india Hmm. is known for one of the spots that hemp and cannabis comes from in fact when you look at it from a colonial point of view they talk about india and european hemp when they're talking about crops they want to harvest interesting also there's a lot of talk about siddhartha gatma the original Buddha, sustaining himself on one seed of cannabis per day. Oh. Yeah. Hemp is also called ganja in Sanskrit. Oh. Which is where that I didn't know that's where it came from. Yeah. In Hindu religion, it probably dates back to at least 1000 BCE. And over on the European side of things, the Greeks would throw it onto the hot rocks in saunas for a relaxing and soothing feeling. And really, they're the first ones really using it as an inhaler on that side. 
Like oh. most other people are ingesting it, they would use it as an inhaler, but the Taoists also would, they would create incense that they would inhale. So they're not the only ones. I always wondered where that came from. Like who would figure out, hey, like this is fun to smoke. My guess is, is when they burned it in a lab. Probably. Or, you know, because forest fires were a thing well before our time. If you had a crop of hemp and it burnt, you would know it smelled fun. Or well, you wouldn't calming. know it smelled fun. Like, you would know you felt really calm fun. around it or yeah. something like that. Herodotus, a very famous Greek historian in 480 BC, would write about the Scythians who would often inhale the vapors of hemp seed smoke strictly for pleasure and recreation. And in Israel, cannabis residue has also been found dating back to about 800 BCE in Tel Arad. So oh. really, like most major religions, at least it's forefathers way back in the day had some sort of cannabis connection in their culture and in their spiritual pieces because well all the abrahamic faiths come from uh, judaism which would have been at that um, time especially at that time because that's well before jesus was born uh, which is well before oh, islam came about so this is all one this smoke the ganja i don't know but there is that whole part about him going to india but that's not for today okay this I found a little weird. I found it on the the Wikipedia page for this, but I found it a little weird. Cannabis was introduced to the West through Persia in the 1200s CE, specifically through Iraq. I find that weird because there's evidence of the Greek using it. And I would assume that the Greeks are in the West, in fact, past Persia, or at least part of Persia at that time. Well, what do we mean by West? Like North America? No, like Europe. At this point, in theory, they don't know about they don't know about North America. Yeah, that seems seem a little weird. bit contradictory. At least in Persia, it wasn't smoked. It was just ingested as an edible until the 1500s when tobacco was introduced to that area. At that point, it became kind of between the two whether or not you'd ingest it and smoke it. I wonder how far back tobacco goes. I wonder if it would be like the same amount. Well, if it's one of the first crops being... Yeah, I couldn't tell you, but... Um, probably just yeah, as old. Tobacco came from the Americas, so it's, it's oh, really? not comparable so, until the at least the 1500s. So it's probably older. Hemp, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. It was introduced through the Spanish, the conquistadors cannabis to Chile in 1545. And it was Very used. Nice pronunciation. Thank you. And it was used as an industrial fabric. There's something I'm going to get into in a little bit that I found very interesting, but it kind of spread like wildfire through the Americas when it was introduced by the conquistadors because in 1613, a man by the name of Samuel Argall reported wild hemp better than that in England growing along the shores of the upper Potomac which is kind of in the northeast u.s as early as 1619 the first virginia house of burgesses passed an act requiring all planters in virginia to sow both england and indian hemp on their plantations oh so it actually hemp and cannabis was one of the main crops that actually created the u.s interesting and i found this interesting a lot of europeans would start to get involved in cannabis just in certain regions so when napoleon went to egypt with the French troops. Egypt was an Islamic state and therefore alcohol was not allowed. So Napoleon's troops took to cannabis and quite enjoyed it. But Napoleon promptly banned the use of cannabis after they left Egypt. As we kind of talked about a little earlier, generally if it's seen as an underclass thing to do, it gets banned fairly early on. And this is seen in India. When the British get there, they tried to ban cannabis consumption in 1838, 1871, 1877, and I believe 1879, but that part got cut off in my notes. So clearly it worked fantastic. 
Yeah. And the yeah. last part I really want to talk about before, sorry, there is a bit more, but this is an important part that I did not know, but cannabis is absolutely vital to the colonization age because before fossil fuels really existed, it was a world of sailing. Cannabis created a material that was stronger and a better sale than anything else out there at the time. Mm. And cannabis retained its importance as a strategic raw material for over 400 years until the development of steam shipping in the mid to late 19th century. And remember how I talked about the conquistadors introducing cannabis in 1545 to Chile? They brought it because they needed to grow it for their ships. So would this be, this is for the sales, right? It, yeah, it's for the sales and for ropes. Oh, this would and be I help. will get into that a little bit. If you want to yeah. listen a little bit, I found this absolutely fascinating. I do. Part of the push to colonize the new world could be attributed to Britain's difficulties in trading for hemp compared to other powers. So a lot of the hemp would be coming through the uh, Mediterranean from the Middle East. And France, Holland, and Spain had a huge advantage over Britain in getting that crop. So as early as the 1500s, this had become an obvious weak point in Britain's defensive and offensive ability. And the obvious solution was to look to the West where the new world of the Americas had been discovered and was being settled by an increasing number of European peoples. All of the European powers with settlements in the new world were particularly interested in growing hemp and laws were made stipulating that recipients of large grants in the new colonies must devote a portion of their land and labor to growing hemp. All trade depended on and all naval military strategy was equally reliant on a steady and secure supply of hemp. The British colonies in the Americas lived up to their promise in securing Britain a supply of strategic raw materials and wealth of trade and commerce. I just want to, this is the part where they're talking about how much hemp is needed per ship. By the late 1700s, a major ship of the line in the British Navy required 80 tons of hemp in sail and rope. This equated to about 350 acres of hemp production. The sails and rigging had to be completely replaced every three to four years. Hemp production was labor intensive and a source of cheap labor proved valuable to secure the constant supply. In the southern colonies of North America, African slaves were used to produce tobacco and cotton. In the northern colonies of New England, convict labor from Britain was employed. There was no penitentiaries until the 1800s. Convicted felonies were bonded as servants until they had paid their debt to society through their labor. By 1770, the year Captain Cook claimed Australia for the British Empire, over a thousand convicts a year were being transported mostly to plantations in Virginia and Maryland in North America. When the 13 colonies in North America declared their independence from Britain in 1776, Britain was dealt a serious blow. The British lost their battle of Yorkton in 1781 and the Baltic supplies of cannabis. Tar and timber were seriously diminished by the League of Armed Neutrality, an alliance of Holland and other Northern European powers. What the Baltic Sea Route blocked and the North American colonies lost, Britain was isolated from the sources of strategic raw materials. No cannabis, no canvas, no canvas, no trade. Britain desperately fought to regain control of the American colonies, but to no avail. 1783 saw their final defeat, and the British Navy and nation was in desperate situation when proposals to found a colony in the distant lands of New South Wales began to appear at the home office. That is the story of how Australia came to power. Whoa. Without the absolute necessity for cannabis and hemp on the world stage, Australia would not be the country it is today. This is so interesting. And it's I, I never knew the history of it like this, to be perfectly honest with you. It's so interesting that this 
kind of started all these countries. And the reason that it was grown is because obviously it's such a sustainable resource. Well, it's, to- it's both sustainable and incredibly strong. Like you're going to build a sail yes. far better out of this than out of sheep, than out of wood, than out of flax. Yeah. Like it's, it's the best so product. crazy. And maybe we're going to get into it in future episodes that now it's been, well, now it's becoming legalized again, but hemp was never illegal. But it wasn't, grown. As a it wasn't grown as a wide product either throughout oh, North America. Yeah, in fact, and the last, and I am going to get into that. that. Okay. Yeah. I am going to touch on that. Up until the 1850s, cannabis and hemp were very common products throughout North America. And in fact, in, in the 1850s, there would be hashish parlors right next to opium dens in New York. And I believe there's something like 600 hashish parlors in New York in the 1800s. It was even common for people of the upper class to attend these parlors. Hmm. The last real big push for hemp in North America was during World War II because it was absolutely vital for the supply efforts of the military. The U.S. grew 400,000 acres of hemp in help of the war effort throughout the U.S. And the last commercial crop of hemp, at least for this era, was grown in Wisconsin in 1957. What made it the last... That is for the next episode, but that's where that ends now. Like it's it's a very oh, interesting. Man, I yeah. wanted to know. I know it's a very interesting. I tried to focus on parts you wouldn't normally hear about, specifically about. I had no idea yeah. about anything about that. Just as like a little interjection that I like to put in, and I'm gonna get into heroin here pretty quickly. Um, You're gonna talk about heroin. Yeah. Let's we'll let's see. say it that way. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I find it so interesting that these are with the aside of cocaine. I mean, cocaine was something for other than the low, the indigenous like chewing on it and stuff like that. Like these crops are something that some are like some of the oldest crops on earth. And to me, there's nothing ever wrong with that. They're they're natural. The earth gave them to us for a reason, right? It's just humans that end up exploiting it and then it becomes a huge like mess. And maybe this is better for me to talk about on the next episode. <laughs> because we're talking about the criminalization. Yeah. But to be um, fair, Earth also gave us some of the most severe poisons to man to die a horrible, yeah. horrible death. <laughs> so yeah. just because Earth, Earth created it doesn't mean it's okay for you. <laughs> well, the Earth provides always. But I just <laughs> I just think it's <laughs> so interesting that these are some of the oldest crops and yet they create some of the word well yeah i mean drug addiction is a pretty big problem but yeah but there, there's a whole so, other argument there's a whole other conversation to have about drug addiction is, if you want uh, to learn more about I it it is in the next episode there is a very controversial book out there but i found it quite interesting it's called chasing the scream and it is by johan hari h-a-r-i came out 2015 it's very interesting it does talk about it doesn't talk so much about the prehistory it talks more so about the criminalization and the cultural perception moving forward from criminalization it's something i'm into i'm definitely gonna read that very interesting book it has a 93 percent like on google users and a 4.5 out of 5 on goodreads so people do say it's controversial i do think it is at least 
informative and educational. I find that right up on my opinion as well. And that's just with my background of education and stuff like that. I, this is something that I'm very passionate about is decriminalization of drugs, which we're not into yet. That being said, I think it's very telling that this is something that's coming from the earth that we have put our kind of stipulations and well, whatnot on. It's, where it's something it's, that should just be coming from the earth. And because of its criminality, it doesn't only come from the earth. It has a certain it gets, stipulation it gets, upon it, right? It gets stimula- stipulations taught. and it also gets, basically because it's it's not part of the uh, legal market, it gets cut with things and it becomes hard to find mm-hmm. and it becomes social taboo. Um, well, exactly. And when we look at what we're going to discuss on another episode with the war on drugs and Reagan, it definitely molded our current culture our cultural standing how we it, look yes. at it. and i my at least my view on this to sum it up in a, just a few short words is legalize to regulate yeah. i think is the simplest way to say it that's definitely my view on it and there's a lot and i agree with that on prostitution as well just to put that out there and i, I think we're that, libertarian when it comes to actually outlawing a lot of things that's how you it, regulate it's funny it's, it's funny to say that it. because i say regulate right after but i don't mm-hmm. think things many things should be legal you can't regulate something when it's illegal with that we'll move on to our last topic for today we will okay, be then right i can back. go to the bathroom yes after okay. these messages okay Messages don't have. Please don't leave. (laughs) With that, Chelsea, are you ready for heroin? Yeah, heroin. (laughs) I saved the best for last. I found heroin super interesting. Never done it. Never really looked into the history before. So here it is. I don't know how much you knew about heroin. I didn't know barely anything, really. I know it goes back pretty far. It gets referenced. It gets referenced a lot in medieval talks because of milk of the poppy. Yeah. Yeah. It's apparently like cannabis. It's like one of the oldest crops. And most Um, of our painkillers derive from poppies. Yeah. Which I don't think I also knew either. Super interesting. So heroin comes from the opium poppy, um, which I don't know if you like Seinfeld, but I had no idea that heroin had anything to do with the bagel episode. The muffin, the poppy. Oh, sorry, the muffin episode. Yeah. She was testing positive for like heroin or opium or whatever. So she couldn't go on the, Elaine couldn't go on the work trip. I can't remember where I saw it, but I saw an episode of something and they actually like did, like it was not Mythbusters, but it was like a Mythbusters fashion question. And they did confirm if you eat too many poppy seed bagels or muffins, you at least will be flagged for something along the lines of heroin. What? Yeah. I didn't know that that was a thing, but that was my reference for like, what what do poppies have to do with testing positive for opium? Um, they do come, poppy seed is delicious. I do like the poppy seed, ba- the poppy seed muffins. I don't know the last time I saw that as an option, actually, but... It was a long or not a long digress. So the opium poppy is cultivated in the Mediterranean region as far back as 5000 BC in the Neolithic age. And the opium poppy comes the key ingredient for many opiates, including morphine, codeine, opium, obviously, and heroin. So as Taylor said, it's it's a key ingredient in a lot of our painkillers, um, uh, which actually is driving the fentanyl crisis today. Yes. And I do touch on it briefly. Okay. So FYI, here are the differences. Opium is an opiate, which is labeled natural. You're not watching live. I'm putting 
air quotations quote unquote natural, natural. <laughs> because nature creates the active ingredient molecules so this is also true of morphine and codeine it's an fyi they come directly from the poppy plants oh sorry can i can i add one thing really quick here anybody who's a fan of game of thrones oh okay game of thrones there there were always references to people dying being given milk of the poppy which would be one of these opiates overdoses no no they would just be given like some sort of hallucinogenic or painkiller to ease their dying so then why did they die because of it no they don't die because of it they are given it to ease their death okay so you'll hear it a couple times in game of thrones they're talking about milk of the poppy this again it would be an opiate they'd be giving them yeah so it is one of the oldest as well as where we saw with cocaine where it was used for medicinal purposes and sorry, I'm um, not trying to say that that's it is a fantasy world. Yes, but George R. R. Martin did find inspiration from the War of the Roses, which is a historical time in Britain. It is truly used as a painkiller. It is. Yeah, um, all the way back. Yeah. Um, people quickly find that out with things like this. They're labeled natural, quote unquote, as they're coming directly from poppy plants. Heroin, on the other hand, is an opioid, which is not found in nature. And that being that it's synthetic or partly synthetic, depending on what you're looking at in regards to heroin. They act like opiates in the human body because of similar molecules. This includes oxycotton, fentanyl. They are not essentially derived from the poppy plant, so they are not natural. So anyway. Sorry, opiates are natural. Opioids are synthesized. Right. Okay. So opium is found back in the Mediterranean region and it is used for things like food and anesthetics and ritual. And now that I'm reading this out loud, I'm not sure why they would use it in food, but yet here I have it in my notes. So I'm sure it's a Chelsea muffins. Right. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We were just talking about it. (laughs) I forgot about that. Now I know. I'm so glad you're here to clear that up. (laughs) (laughs) And bagels and stuff. Yeah. Delicious. I did just say they're delicious. (laughs) (laughs) So anyhow, there's evidence that opium was inhaled as vapors, suppositories. Go figure. Uh, Here's another thing. I'm not sure how someone figured out that it would be. And just just really quickly. Vapor and suppository are separate things, right? Yeah. Okay. Vapor, comma, suppository. You could vapor suppository. But I wouldn't want to. No, just so you know, have you ever heard the term don't blow smoke up my ass? (gasps) Oh, no. Yeah, it's a real thing. (laughs) So that's why I need to make sure there's a comma there. Well, there is in my notes, but now I don't know. Okay. <laughs> no, that's a typo. There should be a comma okay. there. Okay. We don't no, know. Have, we don't I know. Do, I do have one, but maybe there shouldn't be. We don't know. We don't know. Let's just put a disclaimer here that we don't know whether there should be a comma here or not between vapor and suppository. <laughs> okay. Comma. Medical voltices. Which I don't know what that is or if I'm... I, I don't even know what you corrected. said correctly basically they spread it over a cloth and put it on whatever part of the body is ailing you oh did you say a poultice yeah poultices okay Okay. it's just kind of an antibacterial thing oh 
that you would oh. put over an area so they wouldn't get infected. Yeah, or from what I understood is if your knee was sore, maybe you'd put it over that too. Yeah. Okay. And in combination with hemlock for suicide as well. There's the poison you were talking about. Just real quick. They would cure suicide or it would cause suicide. Cause. Okay. I don't think. Well, I I don't want to say anything. Um, <laughs> no, but I'm just saying if somebody had suicidal thoughts, is that something no, they would prescribe? I okay. Think, okay. I think hemlock is a poison. Mm-hmm. We are talking about the earth providing as well. As, <laughs> it as does provide nice, all. Yeah, that are nice for um, pain relief and fun substances. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. If you wanted to commit suicide, mixing it with an opiate it does, would, yeah. it does make a lot of sense. Yeah. So we all knew it, I guess. Well, maybe I'm assuming, but basically the oldest potent form of pain relief used by the Sumerian, Assyrian, Egyptian, Indian, Minoan, Greek, Roman, Persian, Arab, etc., etc. empires show up in old medical texts, which are apparently famous. And I didn't want to do research on them because that would be a lot of me. And allowing them to perform prolonged surgical procedures. So again, it's just going back a long time, just like cocaine, just like was cannabis used for medical? Yes, it was. Uh, Shenang uh, wrote extensively about its use as a uh, a medical product. Go humans in the beginning. I mean, we just saw it for the pain relief that it could give. And sorry, just one thing I can add. The first people to try to decriminalize cannabis were people who were using it for medical purposes, specifically glaucoma. They are pretty pure reasons that they essentially use them for other than, I mean, chewing on them for fun. Because, I mean, people are going to realize that people want to be have fun too yeah so anyhow this part isn't about opium however the two do mostly go hand in hand so recreational use of opium goes as far back in the 11th century with soldiers returning home from the crusades which were the religious wars initiated by the latin church so they had gotten their hands on it during that war and in muslim societies from the 14th century which was eaten slash drank in constantinople and exported to Europe. The Ottoman Empire was a great yeah. supply of opium, even uh, modern, prior to China and India. Just so everybody is aware, Constantinople is modern-day Istanbul. Yeah, sorry. Opium is tied to both recreational use and medical use, obviously, as we were just talking about medicinal uses with these drugs going back so far. And there was no regulation. In England, it was great. And, uh, well, in all countries, it was great. And it was used as a catch-all miracle drug for pain, cough, dysentery, diarrhea. Yeah. Anyone can purchase it, just as you saw with cocaine and it's just- used. To stop flatulence. Bring up, we always like to think of our great grandparents as very prudish, very Christian, or sorry, at least very religious, I should say, because I don't know what background you're all coming from. But um, Not our, our, I wouldn't call ours religious. Yeah, no, I agree. But they were more prudish. But these people, for their coughs, would take heroin for fun. They would take cocaine to chat with their friends. And for, for, for sailing across the sea, they would use weed. So it would, it would they use weren't it as their- stuck up as we thought they were. Yeah. And they were extremely addicted to it, no matter 
how not addicted to cocaine they thought they were. They were drinking it in their coat. Yeah. They're using it to whiten their teeth. They're using it to stop their farts. Like it was pretty much used for everything back in the day. And you probably didn't even need to use it to whiten your teeth. You just one excuse. Anyhow, I thought this was very interesting. And it, I mean, it is a part of the history. And there's a whole part you could go into China and opium dens. And the opium <gasps> you got war. into the opium wars? Oh, I didn't. It was too uh, much. No. Too much. Sorry. Can I just add one thing really quick? Mm-hmm. If you ever want to look into a war where monkeys were trained to be tied to explosives. What? And climb onto ships to explode. Look into the opium wars. Okay. If I would have known this was an opium war, I would have looked more into it. But this was yeah. enough of an undertaking um, for me. Sorry. The opium wars are basically the fall of the monarchy, the dynasties in China. Um, they, they kind of cope move nicely into the revolution of Sun Yat-sen, which then brings about the revolution of Mao. It's a very interesting time in China, which I would highly recommend reading about. But it's especially garden in Vancouver. Um, the Qing dynasty was the last one. And this is where the opium wars happened. It's very interesting. It's a great time that shows you the absolute corruption and disparity in a world. I would highly recommend reading about China at that time and especially how it was colonized. That's so super, super interesting. interesting. I had no idea. I just and also exploding monkeys. What it entailed. I just looked at what it entailed for research, and I was like, "Wow, that's too much for the history of heroin." You know but- what? Let's let's do an episode on the opium wars. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna have five episodes. That that's just an episode. It's a separate episode at some point. We'll talk about the opium wars. Yeah. Okay. Maybe one day. We will. Okay, don't worry. So China's view is different, which I thought is super interesting given what I just discussed with you. It was so like, I don't know. So records show earliest description in 1483 saying it was mainly used to aid in masculinity, strengthen sperm and regain vigor. And it enhances the art of alchemists, sex and court ladies. So China had this kind of like view on it that gave you like sex appeal and prowess and it really showed how wealthy you were. It had an affiliation with sex continued into the 19th century. It was also for the privileged and elite until the 19th century as well. It was offered to guests as a form of greeting and politeness. Just as I would pull out a bottle of wine, the Chinese would pull out some opium for their guests to have. Yeah, and they're um, long pipes. Yeah. yeah. So then comes, like, we just got into, and I am sad that I missed the monkeys. Then comes the prohibition and the opium wars. So this is not about opium or China, though. So I'm going to continue on with it it is an important part in the history of opium and heroin which is why i briefly touch on it but we are trying to limit our time on this we are already we have a nice we have a nice listening period of this so while related with the prohibition and so on of opium it was gradually superseded by more purified synthetic opioids and in walks morphine which is where we start to get not so naturally derived with the opiates so the process began in 1804 with Frederick Wilhelm and Adam Sir Turner, which isolated the morphine from the opium poppy. So here we see it become something that's not natural, which is the opioid. It almost moved on after this fact. However, I thought this was important. So this was a lengthy process for Sir Turner taking until 1817. So 1804 to 1817. 
and he published the isolation of the pure morphine from opium. 13 years of research on trial on himself and his three children. Yeah. So the benefit of this is that the dosage would be known versus using raw plant material, which can be too weak or too strong, and it leaves up too much to be guessed. And they they want to know. When you're using yeah. it for medicinal purposes, you want to know. No, and especially much- from leaf to leaf, you're not going to get consistent. Le- or sorry, it would be seed to seed in this situation. You're not going to get consistent levels. So that is especially why you want to synthesize it. Exactly. So sales of morphine became in 1827. Then came a variety of others, including codeine, chloroform, and so on, which were further isolations of the alkaloids from the poppy seed. Anyway, heroin is what we're all here for. And it was first synthesized in 1874 as diamorphine. And then put on the back burner again until 1897 when Felix Hoffman at the Bayer Pharmaceutical Company in, want to take a guess? Bayer? That's in Germany, isn't it? Germany. Yeah. Yeah. We hear Germany a lot with these. Marketed heroin from 1898 to 1910 as a non-addictive morphine substitute and (laughs) and cough medicine for children so <laughs> it's so funny to look at it now and you're like yeah we were giving heroin oh, and, uh, and i guarantee you parents were shutting up kids with cough syrup at that time mm-hmm. oh yeah you you better believe they were whatever you can do to control your child the name heroin comes from hero do you say that in german heroish heroish i can't yeah. i can't yeah <laughs> I, I know no i idea. can't do it in I, german I, it sounds so angry I always assumed it came from female heroes. Heroic, which means heroic, strong, and also from the Greek word heroes. Oh. This was the commercialization of heroin. It was considered safer because a lethal dose was 100 times greater than the effective dose. Voila, it was a miracle drug, which means essentially it would have taken a lot more than an effective dose to overdose on it. And it uh, was it was thought to be less addictive, so people wouldn't need to get to that level. It was thought of less addictive. No drug has been found that can match the pain-killing effect of opioids without duplicating their addictive potential. So fun fact on that, and it was a cough syrup for children. 1914, the U.S. passes the Harrison Narcotics Act to control the sale of opioids, but is still able to be prescribed then in 1924, and it became illegal to sell, import, or manufacture. So the rest of this, actually, I do just want to touch. It's all talking about the criminalization of it now. Yeah, go ahead. I do just want to say the main sources of heroin do come from Afghanistan, Golden Triangle being Pakistan uh, and the Golden Triangle, which is, I didn't put what the Golden Triangle is, but it's that area with India and the Middle East in there. Pakistan, Mexico, Colombia. Sorry, Uh, those aren't in the Middle East. Golden Triangle? No, you just said Mexico, Colombia. Comma. Golden Triangle is in the border of Afghanistan. I believe it goes down to around Vietnam and Thailand, around there in India. It's in there. And then Mexico, Colombia. Oh, yeah. And you better believe there's a lot of conspiracy theories as to why the U.S. went into Afghanistan and what crops were growing there and what needed to be protected. So this is from where they've seized heroin and they could track where the origin was. Yeah, because the Canadian army would have been guarding that and bringing Uh, it to market. 
Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how they would seize it, but I would. I had... Speculation. That is fully okay. speculation on my part. But there are stories of the military defending the crops. So, just to quickly touch on it, I know we're all thinking it right now, uh, which is fentanyl, because this is what is killing a lot of people right now. Not that there are a lot of deaths contributed to drug use. However, it's an epidemic right now. I'm not sure about anywhere else, but especially in British Columbia, we've seen more deaths from drug overdoses caused by fentanyl than we have of COVID-19 deaths. In and they, they fall into the category that would be considered deaths of despair. Yeah, I'm Basically not sure about, suicides. Yeah, I'm not sure about anywhere else, but it's... it's it is an epidemic bad. across North America, at least. I don't know about the rest of the world. I do find it very interesting because the spot that North America finds itself in right now, which is teetering on collapse, I will say that, specifically with what's going on in the world today. We'll talk about that in a future episode, but deaths of despair are definitely something that will be seen at that point. Yeah. So it is what it is. Yes. Kind of. Fentanyl is a fairly new coming along in 1959 as a form of anesthetic used intravenously as well as a patch. It's not until the 1970s that it made its way into recreational drug use and it is hundreds of times stronger than heroin. It is that opioid. It is not naturally occurring as you may have suspected. Everything <laughs> I did not suspect a natural thing would be more um, addictive than heroin or more... Yeah. Uh, extreme than heroin yeah yeah some dealers will because of this because it is so much stronger than heroin and it, it i i do think we can cut it at this point just because this is something we'll talk about when we talk about okay. prohibition that's okay because so, i only yeah. had one more sentence okay good so no that's something that. i definitely will talk about with prohibition because that does come a lot in chasing the scream okay and it makes a lot of sense. So um, yeah. at this point, yeah. Okay. I think you can That's say it. one more thing. There's a more synthesized version of fentanyl called carfentanyl now, and it is even oh, more. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, it that's is even more yeah. intense and extreme than uh, fentanyl. Yeah, that's not good. But fentanyl and carfentanyl do serve a very medicinal purpose. They are used in surgeries and after yes. surgeries very often. Because specifically, if you're only using it once, it does not have an addictive behavior. Well, my child had it when he came out of surgery. He had fentanyl for... That was incredibly surprising to hear them say that, actually. Yeah, it was, it was a very scary experience go through actually because all you hear all you hear is fentanyl in the news and then and then the doctor saying we're going to give your child fentanyl yeah i was there for that actually so i I it was very scary and and they even told me based on my reaction they're like this is not the same fentanyl this is and they're there to provide i mean this is what it's made for essentially because it's synthesized right so when you're using it in a medical setting it's a lot different than getting it mixed with heroin on the street but i think we at least covered outside of psilocybins and the psychoactives all of the major natural drugs in the world Right. We did miss some. We didn't talk about psilocybins, but I think they are kind of a different category. And we'll talk about them at a different point in time with peyote. And there's one more in there that I can't think of. We can we can buy peyote to a completely different type of ep- episode that doesn't have to do with drugs and the government, though, which could oh, be. We sure can. Oh, you know what? We'll talk about psilocybins and peyote when we talk about the machine elves. There we go. Ooh, or or like DMT and stuff. Yeah, somewhere in that category. Some story yeah. in that category. That'll be a later date. But for now, 
we are Journey to the Fringe, and we for once can actually leave you knowing that the next episode is going to be about the criminalization of drugs. And we'll see you next week. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. Uh, we are a new podcast, and we would very much so appreciate if you could like, subscribe, share, and if possible, provide a five-star review or some sort of feedback if you feel like there's anything we could be doing better. But five-star review is the best thing you can do for us, as it does help, unfortunately, in the world of algorithms. Yes. Please and thank you. And you can follow us on social media at Journey to the Fringe. We don't have all of them, so try searching it. Instagram, we're on Facebook. Right now we have a subreddit. And if there's anything you want to hear in the future, feedback, anything, you can email us at journeytothefringe at gmail.com. If there's something we're missing that you'd like to see us on, please let us know. We only know what we know. So we're only and in so many places. Also, if you feel that we have gotten anything wrong, please let us know there as well, as we would really like to have the best information possible. We are mm -hmm. only as good as our research. And if you can provide anything further, it's a real help. Or if you want to share anything, we yes. will definitely, we're open to shares. So yes, thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.